Please pray with me. Lord, you know each of us and you know me. I ask you to take my emptiness and fill it with your fullness so that it overflows. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. One of my favorite quotes is from the writer Dorothy Sayers, who said that liturgy is safe words for unsafe places. But in our casual Friday world, we don't easily conceive of the holy as being dangerous. But Holy Scripture, the inspired record of man's interaction with God, says that it can be very dangerous. Consider this passage from Leviticus. Leviticus 10, verses 1 through 4. Aaron's son, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke of when he said, Among those who approach me, I will show myself to be holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. Aaron remained silent. Moses summoned Mishael and Elizaphan, sons of Aaron's uncle Uziel, and said to them, Come here, carry your cousins outside the camp, away from the front of the sanctuary. Or consider the matter of Uzzah. When the ark of the Lord was being moved, but not in a manner that the Lord had indicated or prescribed. And so in 2 Samuel 6, 6-9, when they came to the threshing floor of Nakan, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of the Lord because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore the Lord struck him down, and he died beside the ark of the Lord. Then David was angry because of the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? David was afraid to take the ark of the Lord back into Jerusalem because God had defended the holiness of his ark. What common everyday things can ever be safe in the presence of the holy? What sinful things can ever be safe in the presence of the holy? Or consider Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament, who lied about the money they were giving to God so that the people of the, of the church, the people of God, would think that they were more generous than they really were. So in Acts 5, 3-11, Then Peter said, Ananias... How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? After it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And a great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. 
About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this, is the, price, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the Holy Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who carried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. And the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Or consider Paul's warning to the Corinthian church that many of their members had gotten sick and the some had died because they were not doing communion with a right understanding and a right heart. And so in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. So anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat this bread and drink this cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That's why many of you are sick and some have even died. We must never regard that which is holy lightly. The holy and the fallen just don't mix well together. So how can that which is holy become human flesh? And how can that which is spirit become material? And how can he who is eternal become temporal? Before the Apostle John left this world as an old man, there were some on the periphery of the church who had said that such things weren't even possible. And in part, the epistle of 1 John that we read from today was meant to correct their thinking. And that as hard as it is to imagine God becoming a human being, He did. And the apostles were all witnesses of that. And so in 1 John 1-2, through 2, John wrote that which was from the beginning, which we have heard and which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. The Holy One, the Eternal One, the One who existed long before the beginning first began, became a human being like you and like me. And we saw Him, we heard Him, we touched Him, and He was real, and in Him was the very life of God Himself. In Him, the Holy really became flesh. The Spirit really became matter. And the apostles are all witness of the, witnesses of that. And we know what we have seen, John proclaims. And then John goes a bit further in our reading, telling us what God's intentions for all of that were. So 1 John 3-4, through 4, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make our joy complete. 
John wants us to know that their experience of both the humanity and the divinity of Jesus was real. And then John says that he and the other apostles proclaim these things so that his readers, his hearers can believe and that they too can have fellowship with them and have fellowship with Jesus and the Father. So what do you think that word fellowship really means? Whatever it means, it's so important that John is proclaiming this truth so that they can experience it. How important is fellowship? Listen to this passage from Acts. Acts 2, verses 41 and 42. Peter's preaching. And the word says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They, the ones who were added, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, the way I was raised in the church back, you know, way back when, and I got the, 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 the apostles' teaching. I got the, the breaking of bread. I got the, uh, the prayer. But what's this thing? They devoted themselves to fellowship. Is that really as important to those other, as all those other things? The passage places participating in fellowship on the same plane as the Apostles' teaching, on the same plane as the Eucharist, on the same plane as prayer. So what's fellowship? It follows that Christian fellowship has got to be a whole lot more than just talking about sports or parents or children over a cup of coffee or over a piece of fried chicken. The word we translate as fellowship in the Greek is the word koinonia. It's a sense of connectedness, of being a fellow participant, a mutual sharing. You could also use the word community for koinonia. But it means more. And the Greek world of business partnership could be a koinonia. A friendship, a close friendship could be a koinonia. A team could be a koinonia. The word emphasizes a relationship, a quality of life, and, and an interest that's shared among two or more people. Shared among a group of people. In the Christian faith, koinonia is the shared experience of God's supernatural redemption. The supernatural experience of His grace. That which we share together in Christ. It's the, the shared experience of forgiveness, the shared experience of the power of the Holy Spirit in our midst, in our lives, the shared experience of living out that power of God in our work, in our families, in our church, in our vocations, our shared struggles and our shared victories through the power of Christ. That's what, what's meant by fellowship. That's what's meant by koinonia. That's why in this present time that we live in, small groups are so important to Christian life and growth. When they're at their very best, small groups are the expression and the experience of our koinonia, our fellowship, our commonality, our struggles, our victories in Christ, our shared life. 
No wonder the early Christians, in addition to the teaching of the apostles, in addition to prayer, in addition to the Eucharist, devoted themselves to fellowship, to the koinonia, to the sharing of their lives in Christ on a deep and transforming level. So guys, when our faith lacks joy, it may be because we're not experiencing the fellowship, the koinonia that God has meant us to experience because John ties it to joy. If we're not living that common life of faith, if we're not sharing together our struggles and our victories, if we're not sharing them with our brothers and our sisters in Christ, then perhaps we're lacking in joy because of that. We're not fellowshipping with our brothers and sisters. And we're not fellowshipping with our Lord. But you remember, I started off this morning reading about how the holiness of God is dangerous. So how do fallen, broken, failed human beings like me and like you have fellowship with a holy, a fiercely holy God. How can it be? As I read through the Gospels, I see again and again that Jesus issued two great calls. Most groups will emphasize one or they'll emphasize the other and have kind of a monocular view of what this being a Christian stuff means. Where God wants us to see and respond to both calls and have a binocular view of the faith. What are those calls? The first great call is the call to believe in Him. Jesus said in John three fourteen and 15, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. So the first great call is to believe. The other great call is the call to follow. The call to live the life of a disciple. And so in Mark chapter 8 verse 34, it reads, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And also this in John 14:23-24 Jesus replied if anyone loves me he will obey my teaching my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him he who does not love me will not obey my teaching Do you hear that sense of koinonia with God in God making his home with us Jesus tied Jesus tied following to obedience. And he did not tie obedience to fellowship. He tied it to koinonia. Of course, our human experience alone can tell us that we can't just do anything we want, anywhere we want, anytime we want, for any reason we want. We can't do that and have a society. We can't do that and have fellowship with each other either. 
If I steal from you, if I lie to you, if I lie about you, if I'm cruel to you or mean to you, how are we going to have fellowship? We can't. Likewise, if I injure one of Jesus' other followers, if I abuse them, if I mean to them, if I take advantage of them, if I'm cruel to them, and if I, if I defy Christ and what He's asked me to do, how can I have fellowship with Him? I can't. There's a call to believe. And there's a call to follow. And it takes both. The Apostle John expressed it this way in verses 5 through 6 of 1 John. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. We're called to walk in the light. And the call to walk in the light is the call to follow Him. It's the call to obey. John eight twelve. When Jesus spoke again to the people, He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. To walk in the light is to follow Jesus. It's to live the way He taught us to live. To live out the life and the values that He gave us when He lived among us in this world and taught us. It's to live the kingdom values. In his epistle, in our reading today, John continued in verse 7, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus His Son purifies us from all sin. So our enjoying fellowship, our enjoying koinonia with one another, depends on our walking in the light as Jesus is in the light. To walk, to live the way Jesus taught us to walk, to live. And if the verse is stopped right there, if that's where the reading ended... It would sound like you and I just have to be absolutely, totally perfect and then we'll be okay and we can have fellowship with each other and we can have fellowship with God and then and only then can we do it. But who's able to do that? But then, then there are these last words of that verse and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. If the Apostle John expected that we could always walk in absolute total perfection, he would never have added those verses. He would never have added that the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. So how do we understand that? Okay, I need to walk perfectly, but the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all sin. If I'm walking perfectly, I don't need to be cleansed. If I need to be cleansed, I'm not walking perfectly. How do we solve that? I think it's this. 
That John meant that we put forth the effort. We strive to follow in the way that Jesus taught us to live. To live with gratitude. To live with kindness. To live with generosity. To live with chastity. To live with forgiveness. Forgiving one another. To live with grace. And then when we screw up, and we will screw up from time to time, that very same Savior who taught us how to live is also the propitiation for our sins when we screw up how to live. The Savior who died to save us from our sins, a failing to live as He taught us to live. He is the propitiation for our sins. And you know, back then, just as there are now, there are groups of people that said, hey, sin, shmin, there's no such thing. I can do whatever I want. It's okay. There is no sin. That's a concept somebody made up. That's not a real thing. At least not for me. I'm above that. And some will say, if I can do anything I want because I have faith. No. It's for that reason that John continued in verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and He's just to forgive our sins. And He will purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we've not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar. And our word, His Word has no place in our lives. Sin is a thing. It really is. And it's deadly to our fellowship with one another. And it's deadly to our fellowship with God. And then from the final verses in our reading today, we hear these words from the Apostle. My dear children, that's chapter 2, verse 1. I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. And the history of all our human interactions with God show that it can be dangerous for fallen human beings, men and women, to get close to the holy. And yet we're invited to come close. So to have fellowship with the holy, even to have fellowship with one another, this, these verses are saying, we need to be holy people. How do we do that? It comes only from obeying the twin calls, the, the binocular calls of Christ. The call to believe and the call to follow. It's to strive to walk as He taught us, to walk in the light, and to trust His forgiveness when we fall, when we fail, and, and we will. Because we believe in the One who is our atoning sacrifice. That's the key to our fellowship with the Holy. To our fellowship with our Holy God, and to our fellowship with, with one another. 
And that fellowship, it's the key to our joy in Christ. May God grant to each and every one of us the grace to both believe and the grace to follow.